Investors Chronicle. Companies and market show, welcome back. Now, as the conflict in Ukraine rumbles on into its second week, our team of IC staff are back to discuss some more ramifications and fallout in our little Investors Chronicle world. And just one bit of housekeeping ahead of the podcast, we do have a few connection issues, um, so I do apologise for that, but hopefully it won't impede anyone's understanding of it. Right, without further ado, let's get going. All right, time is 4.30pm on Thursday, 3rd of March. Uh, and as you know, listener, the, the terrible events in, in Ukraine is now entering its its second week. Um, what has this meant in our little Investors Chronicle world? Well, I've assembled a crack team to tell you. Uh, in the studio, Michael Fai, hello. Hello. Uh, and then over the internet, we've got Arthur Sants. Hi, guys. Mark Robinson. Hi, John. And Julian Hoffman. Hello, John. Always a pleasure. Lovely. Well, Michael, let's start with you. Um, I suppose one of the more predictable consequences of war is a um, focus and increase on defence spending. Uh, NATO countries are certainly feeling the heat to uh, to increase, with, with Germany already notably increasing their defence spending to uh, 2% of GDP, I think that's right, um, announcing they'll do that in the past week. Um, you've written about some defence shares that have rallied recently. Yeah, that's right. Um so I think, in, to put it into context slightly, um, there's, as you mentioned, the Germany has increased um, its uh, obligate. Oh, it said it will meet its obligation to uh, for to reach two percent of uh, GDP in terms of its spending. Um, this was a a pet peeve of Donald Trump's, or something that he raved on about for quite some time that NATO members were not meeting their commitments that the US was doing all of the heavy lifting and um, there was a note recently from Jefferson Investment Bank which spelled out um, how much uh, each NATO country was was contributing in terms of its GDP and the figures there were some quite stark differences I mean Greece funnily enough was one of the top with about 3.8% of its GDP. And the US obviously was a major contributor with 3.5%. Uh, the US accounted for about 70% of total spending. But then when you looked at some of the major European economies, they fell well short. Germany's 1.5%, Italy's one4 and Spain only contributes 1% of GDP. Um, this is clearly uh, a war that's developed on Europe's borders and the um, the danger, I suppose, is that there will be potentially a permanent militarised border uh, on, the, on the border with Poland. So European countries are very much having to reassess how much they spend and um, how they do it. So unsurprisingly, there was quite a significant jump in share prices uh, mainly of European defence companies. In the UK, you had the likes of BAE Systems, it was up a quarter for a while, and Kenwing and Avon were both up more than 20%, whereas others like Cohort, Kinetic and Babcock all made double-digit price increases. Um, my colleague Julian wrote something specifically about Germany and about the uh, the impact there on 
the increase in spending in Germany, but Rheinmetall, obviously, uh, the German contractor was one of the the main uh, gainers, really. I think that was up about 62% at one stage before falling back. Yeah, that's quite it's quite an extraordinary story, that is, really, because um, Rheinmetall um, is one of the, the, the European... I mean, no, nobody really talks about it very much because it's it never had any real prom- prominence, but it is one of the main defense contractor and manufacturers uh, in Europe and, and probably one of the biggest in the world by um, by capacity. So the, the fact that um, they are looking at getting vast orders from the German state, I mean, the, you know, the defense spending is doubling overnight. I mean, that's just uh, an unprecedented peacetime in inverse commerce outlay. And it's certainly something that we, you know, we wouldn't have seen this since the mid 80s. I don't think so. Sort of the height of the last Cold War was about 1985 and uh, that must have been about the last time that we saw this kind of level of expenditure going going into going into armaments really uh 1989-90 around the time when the fall of the mm. berlin wall was apparently the last time germany spent about two percent of gdp on defense yeah that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> it's, it's interesting isn't it that we feel safer in our beds uh, during the evening given the prospect of german rearmament um with ongoing territorial claims in Poland and Europe, but um, I'm not quite sure what I'm alluding to there. The sort of cyber aspects of the war, people were talking about wars in this century sort of being hybrid wars. I think traditionally it was fought with hardware and people, but now um, there's a big cyber aspect to all these conflicts. I think although this war has definitely sort of increased awareness of the risks of cyber attack, it's really been a pretty big issue for us and uk companies for a while now um and russia has been one of the sort of main antagonists in the situation most i think there's a microsoft report published last year saying over 50 percent of all attacks were sort of russian state funded attacks so even if they don't come directly from the russian state there are lots of sort of third parties groups that are funded by the russian state to um uh sort of target us and uk companies um there's one really famous one in 2017 called the not pet Year ransomware which they actually the russians used to infect the ukrainian banking system but the ransomware was designed to connect to any other system um and it spread to Maersk, who is a danish shipping company cost them 300 million it also ended up spreading to FedEx in the US. And actually, it was sort of so infectious that it infected Rosnos, which is a Russian company. So they really had no control over where that was going. Um, and actually, the Russians have been getting better at it. The sort of um, effectiveness of the attacks has improved from sort of around 20% to around 30% last year. So obviously, the more they do it, the more effective they get. So it really has been an issue for for UK companies for a while. And I think um, Dark Trace had its results today and their revenue was up um, over 50% last year. So obviously they are having a lot more demand for its services and those results wouldn't have been impacted by what's happened in Ukraine recently. However, given all of that, obviously sort of the war is, increased awareness around the issues. And I chatted to Ollie Whitehouse, who's the CTO of um, NCC, who are a cybersecurity consultant listed in the UK. And he said that 
when the war started, they've been immediately got a lot more inquiries from customers about how they could improve their security. And then there's obviously Darktrace is uh, was listed last year. It has there's a bit of AI software which um, is supposed to rather than sort of preventing the attack from entering the system, the AI software sort of fights the attack once it's in the system and because it's AI it's supposed to be self-learning and improve over time. Dark Trace's share price is up like forty percent in the last week. Um so they've obviously the market clearly thinks that um Dark Trace will um profit from sort of increased awareness around the issues. NCC is a little bit different in the sense that like security is sort of a multi-part issue. You have the software side, but then the other part of having a secure system, other people like with the internet of things nowadays and everyone working from home, there are lots of sort of devices and people on those devices that are connected up to the system. So to have a sort of wholesome security network, you need all the people in your organization to be aware of the risks as well, which is sort of where NCC as a consultant comes into it, um, as they sort of advise businesses on how to have a more holistic approach to security. So those are two sort of interesting shares in the UK that could benefit from it, NCC and Darktrace. But the other like big cloud companies, not that they need that much help given the growth in cloud revenue recently, but Amazon, Microsoft, Google, the big three cloud providers, I could see them also benefiting a lot from increased concern about cybersecurity because they invest, Microsoft, in, I think last year, they announced that they're gonna increase spending and their cybersecurity aspects of the cloud business by ten billion dollars, and having all of your, if you're a sort of independent company, having all of your data on a cloud service that invests heavily in cybersecurity means that that should be a safer situation than having your data stored on sort of a um, your own server where you haven't got as much cybersecurity expertise. So there might also see even bigger increase in the number of companies looking to um, invest in cloud services. I think the thing that I found amusing is that it took a vast European-based war on the uh, just to, for anyone to take Dark Trace seriously. I think is my <laughs> observation on that. <laughs> yeah, that company was not a yeah. That company's share price had been falling like a stone for months uh, prior to this. Although that could have been something to do with uh, the fact that people were selling out after their lock-in periods had, had expired. But I mean, there were real questions weren't they raised about the the efficacy of their technology, but obviously in a in a crisis, nobody asks too many questions. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think our initial coverage was all that favourable, if I remember correctly. No, it wasn't. No, I think. Uh, but you know, it's always better. You know, with the newly listed companies, if you start out sceptical, at least then you can be proved wrong, rather than being a a cheerleader and sort of looking like an idiot after a while. But... Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, um, when Stephen Wilmot was with us, he conducted some uh, research into it as well and came up with the the optimal point at which you should get in IPOs based on uh, on past experience as well. And certainly, you leave yourself vulnerable uh, at the point of listing or or just thereafter. I think um, in terms of taking things for granted as well, um, one of the reasons why defence shares have rallied is because they've been largely ignored by the market. Um, the FTSE 350 Aerospace and Dispense uh, sub-index 
is up about 11% this year, but down 6% over the past five years. And um, the PE ratios for the industry have been pretty terrible. And one of the reasons for that has been the fact that um, they are deemed unfavorable in terms of ESG funds and ESG investors. Well, that, that might be the interesting one, whether people have to reassess what it actually means to be an ethical investor if it, you know, if you're in a situation where um, an investment buys you your your entire external security. <laughs> I mean, is that, the, is well, that now a, well, a legitimate well. reason to buy arms companies? I don't know whether that, you know, that we all, there's that saying, is there from George Orwell, isn't it? That we all sleep safe in our beds because rough men are prepared to do violence on our behalf, isn't it? That's, um, yeah. I think that's a, sort of, you could apply that metaphor to buying, uh, to define, buying defense shares. Well, I think <laughs> there, there have already been some arguments made on that score that um, if you have governments around the world sending aid to Ukraine uh, on a humanitarian basis, then uh, how important is security as part of uh, the social element of ESG? But I don't know whether in the grand scheme of things, if you are a somebody who <laughs> who decides that they want to invest ethically, in a fund and then you discover the fund has been buying shares in BAE systems that you would be tremendously happy about it. I mean that, that's going to be one of the interesting things when all this uh, or hopefully when it all blows over is it, it will be the changes or prospective changes to uh, ESG strategy strategies. I mean it's it's completely subjective in the moment and I know that the industry has been trying to um, get to some sort of uh, regular criteria based uh, based around ESG uh, strategies. Um, the, the, another thing with defence companies worth mentioning as well is that the, the industry by its very nature is uh, uh, prone to consolidation. And if you're a, uh, a contractor, uh, uh, Leonardo or, or BAE or Lockheed Martin, you're engaged in uh, sort of long dated projects with a lot of uh, capital intensive projects front loaded so you know by by definition these these aren't growth stocks you're going to have to if you want them in your portfolio you have to leave them in there for a time because uh, you know they, they they just don't they're, they're too large to move that quickly i think just for more on esg our, our colleague mary mcdougall um has a has a uh, has a comment this this week uh, it's in the magazine page 22 the changing face of esg that's some uh, some homework for our for our listeners let's let's move away let's move away from um from russia and ukraine unless there's any um final comments you you guys want to make um julian maybe we can move on to to motor insurers um i believe you you wrote up admiral's uh, results this week didn't you and uh, next week um more of the same Right? Yeah, so basically, it's the twin sisters of motor insurance, uh, Direct Line and Admiral. Um, so Admiral came out today. Uh, <clears throat> it's always a really good, you know, the company is a really good um, buy for investors generally because of the high uh, dividend yields that those kind of, um, that they tend to throw out. Um, the, the the difference between Admiral and Direct Line is is really the valuation. Direct Line is is worth about half of um, you can pick you can pick them up at about ten times PE, whereas um, Admiral is about 19 times. So it's, <clears throat> there's a definite value split in the sector. And 
Uh, it's often it's difficult to know exactly why that is. Uh, direct lines have this uh, reputation for being a value trap for years, and um, it's always to do that always to do with the fact that they're very very home market focused. They tend to have um, there's always some sort of inflationary or deflationary element to to car insurance premiums, uh, and this this year is kind of no different. But uh, what seems to be the case is that. Um, all of the insurers now are seeing the benefits of an inflationary environment coming through. So premiums are going up uh, and that's feeding through into the earnings. But the reason that premiums are going up is that if you didn't put the premiums up uh, and you allowed inflation uh, to get ahead of those um, premiums, you would end up being underinsured, which is the the kind of the, the paradox of the whole thing. So, that, you know, we, for example, like used car prices have gone up so much now. So if you crash your car and you buy a new car, there is a there is a distinct risk that your insurance policy might not cover the value of your new car um, unless they get their risk, their forward risk right. And uh, so what's been happening is that the, the insurers are benefiting from that environment. And um, we're seeing payouts, particularly in dividend levels, come out going, I mean, really going up very, very, um, steeply, um, you know, they're, they're averaging now sort of five or six percent just on a basic level, and then there's lots of uh, special dividends that come out of that as well. So by the time you add those all together, they they sometimes they're really, they're yielding seven to nine percent on average, which uh, is quite extraordinary, really. Um, and so, Admiral's today, Admiral's results today were very positive, uh, and we're expecting. Um, similar something similar from direct line on tuesday when they come out i'll be covering those um, results but um, investors should probably be looking at but um at how the dividends performing and also whether they're seeing the same benefit as admiral from um inflationary premiums so i think that's probably the most interesting thing i'm going to say about insurance all day <laughs> but yes interesting it's it's um it's a market that's that, that um, has been overlooked, but now that we all need income that's inflation-proof, is, is, is proving to be able to provide that. Great. Thank you, Julian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that concludes our insurance talk. Uh, and uh, sorry, Mark, I forget I forget what you wanted to cover. You, you had one last point, didn't you, before we, before we headed? Yeah, yeah so it's only a very brief point that um, the listeners may or may not be interested in. Uh, just when I um, had a look at Weir's results uh, earlier on this week, and what I found interesting there were some comments uh, from management. And they were saying that their, their business, they're a high-tech mining uh, engineer, Again, one of these companies that I said before is, is quite capital intensive in its own way. But they pointed out that the security situation at the moment and the, and the likelihood of changes in public levels of support uh, will provide a fillip for their business because um, uh, if, if we have a prolonged period of disruption from Russia, then uh, kind of key types of uh, metals are going to be, well, such as uh, uh, lithium, uh, nickel and copper, they're, they're going to be in short supply in the market. As it is, there are already supply side problems there. But where this is interesting is when you look at um, uh, the spread of electric motor motoring uh, and the mandates associated with that, um, and, and plus the, the general transition to uh, renewable energy generation, 
it provides ideal uh, or very fertile ground for, for a company like Weir as well. And plus, uh, it, you know, the, the products that they do, or their, their manufactured products help in terms of uh, sustainability because you're finding, finding more and more sort of automation linked with mining. And it's, just a, it's not just about efficiencies, but it's also about safety, uh, which um, feeds into the whole ESG uh, argument again. So I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that it, once, uh, once the situation in Ukraine is resolved one way or the other, it'd be really worthwhile for investors and in, indeed we at the IC to take a step back and try and work out what the, the new normal looks like, because you imagine there's going to be some longer term changes in uh, trading flows across the, across the world for a number of different reasons too. And that ha obvi has obvious implications for uh, portfolio management. What a, what a prescient thought to end on, Mark. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. very comforting. Thank you, Mark. Land <laughs> and all hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me once again. Uh, we'll be back same time next week. Um, and big thank you to Michael and Arthur. It was first time on the podcast, so delighted to have you. We'll, we'll have you back um, shortly, no doubt. Um, yeah, once again, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Goodbye. The Companies and Markets show was edited and produced by me, John Rogers. And don't forget to keep on sending in your questions for our guests uh, to john.rogers at ft.com. That's J-O-H-N dot R-O. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. G-E-R-S at F-T dot com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.